Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name's Andrew Popel. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Nina Kenwood. Now, here on the Final Draft Podcast, we explore books, writing, and literary culture. The podcast comes from a show I broadcast called Final Draft. It's out of the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, at Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to established the, the, the authors you love, <laughs> the ones you've known for years. And in each of these conversations, we look into the issues that drive the author's storytelling as a way to help you discover more from the books you love, because these are the stories that make us who we are. Now, 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. As I mentioned, I am joined today by Nina Kenwood. Nina was the winner of the Text Prize and her new novel is Unnecessary Drama. This is YA about that first share house. It's about young love. It is like funny and exciting. Uh, it's really, it's, it was a great read. I had a lot of fun. I had an amazing time chatting to Nina. So join me as we discover Nina Kenwood's unnecessary drama. Hi. Hello, Nina. How are you? Good. How are you? I am. I am terrific. Well, look, uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I just lost a battle with my cat for my office chair, oh. um, <laughs> but I'm actually ready to move forward and kick goals from here. <laughs> Um, I'm glad to hear. And um, yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. And I listened to your um, little book club. Oh, thing you caught earlier. that. It was great. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm, oh, well, I'm glad you liked it. I've, I've actually taken a very sort of different track with the interview and the questions. Okay. It's always, it's actually always kind of fun. It's, um, I really like being able to do that segment and it lets me kind of muck around with different ways of thinking about books. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's not miles different. We're still talking about the same book, but, um, (laughs) yeah, no, I am, but I'm very excited to be, um, to be kind of chatting about this. And I guess what, when I say I've taken a different track there, I very much leaned into sort of, this is a, this is a rom-com and what does that genre mean? And, you know, Mm How can we how can we have fun with that? Um, whereas I think in the interview, I'm not I'm not really sort of highlighting that too much at all, okay. except in one or two questions. But it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. I Good. Think. I'm excited. Terrific. All right. Here we go. It is my great pleasure to be welcoming Nina Kenwood to the show today. Nina won the 2018 Text Prize for her novel, It Sounded Better in My Head. And today she is joining me with new novel. It is called Unnecessary Drama. I cannot wait to get dramatic about this. Welcome, Nina. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. This is, I'm going to set this up for people. This is such a fun novel. As Brooke arrives in Melbourne and into her first share house, she's ready for life. She's planned for every eventuality and she even has a list to back up that plan in case the worst still happens. Best of all, she's hours away from her hometown and everyone who knows her knows that she's a sensible list-making girl. Even better, she's a whole world away from her old life and the event that defined high school. Yep, Brooke is really going to make something new of her life. That is, until she meets her new housemate, Jessie, and suddenly high school comes rushing back to find her. I mean, I think there's a lot to love, a lot to relate to in just the setup there, Nina. I want to start with share houses, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
from monkey grip to he died with a falafel in his hand, share houses are a touchstone of uni life. And I think kind of yeah. like late 20th century, early to early 21st century Australian culture. Unnecessary drama isn't exactly like those other books. So what drew you to share houses as a site for your novel? Um, look, from a sort of practical writing craft standpoint, I had these two characters, Brooke and Jessie, who had had a falling out and um, but I needed to keep bringing them together. And when you have two characters who don't like each other, but you need them to be together for plot reasons, you need to find a way to make that happen. And I was sort of arming and ahhing about what to do and suddenly it clicked a share house. They're going to live together. Uh, that forced proximity is perfect from a from a writing point of view of creating tension. The worst thing a character can imagine, uh, the worst thing for Brooke is being thrown into having to live together with her friend turned enemy, Jessie. And so, you know, as a writer, you're always looking to make the worst thing happen for your characters. Um, and share houses are just a really fun environment to write about. Um, I have lived in a share house. I have many <coughs> friends who have lived in share houses. At the time of writing this novel, I was living in a old, I wasn't in a share house, but I was in an old Melbourne drafty house um, that had a problem with mice. And that's why there is a mouse in the book, um, because I was sort of working through my trauma of being in a house with a mouse. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't want to, I don't want to derail our conversation at such an early stage, but as you were talking about like just the really practical writerly reason Mm. for this, this setup, it occurred to me suddenly, like, if if Agatha Christie, if Dorothy L. Sayers were writing today, we would have murder mysteries in share houses because you do. You need that kind of artificial everyone <laughs> is thrown together and yes, stuck in a that's space. that's exactly right. Oh, my goodness. I need that book now. Someone please go write that. Um, <laughs> share houses are also just so incredible because we all have our experience. And I guess uh, at some point we want the kind of the cool, edgy experience that, you know, maybe we all misremember from books like Monkey Grip. You know, it's definitely mm. we, you can romanticize that side of share house living. Um is it, you know, did you have to draw on your own experience or did you have to go to more sort of that that romantic, um, the, the romantic unromance of living as a group? Yeah, I, a, a bit of my own experience, a bit of having, you know, you go through your 20s, you enter a lot of share houses um, of friends and family. So you see a lot of different share house dynamics over the years. Um, and I wanted to really lean into... Um, the idea that Brooke is, if you're a person like Brooke, who is very type A, who is very organised, who likes things just so and is a very clean person and then you, for the first time, you're living with other people and they have different um, ideas of what cleanliness is and how many things can be jammed in a bin before it needs to go out and how long a shower should be and all of that. Uh, And so it was fun exploring that feeling of, you know, you're a very controlling person to let, have to let go of control or how to negotiate those dynamics. Um, and so, yeah, that just, it, it makes for a fun, um, a fun area to write in. Mm. And Nina, Nina arrives in Melbourne and she is desperate to throw off her previous life, her small town and all the conceptions, the, the sort of the claustrophobia that comes of everyone knowing or b- believing they know who you are. This this sort of um, the sort of purging this 
kind of cathartic purge. Do you see that as sort of an essential part of moving from school and beyond into the world? Or is it is it more kind of, again, a site for, for writing into the drama and does it hide a lot of other stuff that's going on? Um, I think a bit of both. I think when you, for a lot of people, when you finish high school, you have these grand ideas of, um, I can, because you become trapped in whatever persona you take on in high school and for a lot of people it's letting whatever happened there go and wanting to become this shiny new person and, um, you know, finding your tribe, finding your people in uni. So there's a lot of pressure that that's going to happen and especially for Brooke, she's moving from a small town to the city. So nowadays a lot of kids just keep living with their parents while they're at uni but if you are from a small town and you don't have that option and you are moving to the city, which is I moved from a small town to the city um, for uni. So uh, it's that that real first step out into independence and the uh, that really sort of cements the idea that you're letting your past go and you're taking this big, exciting first adult step and you're going to become this sophisticated city person but maybe not <laughs> i love that i love that you kept it a little bit you know sort of 2022 housing crisis real too and, and brooke did actually look at a room a room um hope everyone <laughs> can hear my air quotes there that was if let me see if i get this right it was it was cushions on the ground behind like a curtain screen hung over a one of those um like clothes horses that's that's yes yes that feels and that it. was drawn from real life for a while my brother was in a share house where someone was living behind the couch so you know there are <laughs> there are a lot of um creative rooms in share houses oh i mean that's 250 bucks a week you know in a city <laughs> in a city melbourne in a city sydney <laughs> exactly you'd be lucky to have it you do like you're not afraid in the book though to you've you've got sort of you're building up this tension. Brooke is oh, actually let's before I go before I go to the funner funner lighter moments. Brooke is is very much um, she's in her head. I'm, I want to I'm going to describe it like that. Um, she is struggling to get used to the way other people are living. She does want to kind of control her environment. She has a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you were you specifically trying to to portray? Um, anxiety and how it is dealt with there in Brooke? Uh, For sure, yes. Mm. And also I'm a very anxious person. I wrote this book in 2020 and 2021, a very anxious time for the world um, and for me. I had just had, in 2019, I had my first um, child. So I had, you know, I had a baby. We were in a pandemic. Uh, There was a lot going on. I was in a I was in a very anxious state. So a lot of that anxiety got um, poured into Brooke. Obviously my anxieties um, are not hers and, you know, COVID is not in the book. And that was a, that was something that I really grappled with for a while, you know, as every writer who was starting their book in 2020 um, did, we all kind of went, what do we do about COVID? Is it a blip? Is it going to stay around? Do we write this in? Do we not write this in? Um, And everyone sort of approaches it their own way. I made a decision at one point um, I did talk with my editor and we said, oh, we're just going to sprinkle COVID in, just <laughs> a sprinkling of COVID, a mention of a face mask here and a, this there, and then I decided, no, that you either have to have it in properly mm. or not. Um, so I just, it's not in there. And, you know, Brooke's anxieties are all about um, her, you know, her family and moving out and all of the things that you make an 
anxious um, 18-year-old and nothing to do with me, a 30-something mother, but we are vibrating on the same um, anxiety level, I guess. So they kind of flowed naturally into her as a character. I mean, I could could completely imagine that, that waking up with a new baby in the room, if you were, if you actually managed to get to sleep, would not be dissimilar to Brooke's experience of waking up and seeing the mouse and just being like, "Oh my god, what do I do with this thing <laughs> for the next eighteen yeah. years until it grows up and moves out?" Yes, um, yeah, they're all they're very similar experiences. And you're not you're not af- afraid, but there is there is a lot of tension. We do we do very move very move very much through Brooke's point of view of that anxiety, but you're also not afraid to deflate the tension. Or maybe you just sort of shift it sideways a little bit. With um, I, I love there's a lot of sort of weirdly comic interjections where we run into an ex or a failed date, and I mean, maybe off air we can talk about how you build that up. It's brilliant, but <laughs> it, it had this it had this great effect of both defraying and also intensifying Brooke's tension. I mean, this is broadly speaking a rom com. Yes. What has influenced your comedic stylings? Like, how do you draw on, where, where do you draw your comedy from? Um, that's interesting. I think, look, I love watching a lot of um, television comedy. Like, so, you know, a huge array of TV comedies. Um, I also read, I think, books that have got a really distinctive comedic voice, even going back to, like, Nora Ephron and those very um, voicey, funny books uh, are great inspiration. Um, And really I think my first draft is often, or what I call draft zero, I'm just writing. With this book I just wrote um, to find out the character of Brooke and it was quite... I was just finding her internal dialogue and it's quite, um, it's a lot darker than the book turns out to be and leaning into the anxiety. And then once I have who Brooke is, then I start um, going, okay, now I need to make this funny. And um, so a lot of the humour is just in her internal, you know, taking the darkness and the anxiety and the neuroses and twisting them to be funny um, and then also finding... Um, finding comedic scenarios, just throwing her into awkward situations, finding things that you think she's going to hate this and she is not going to cope. Let's write about it. Mm. Um, yeah. And bringing, bringing all, bringing a lot of characters together. So, um, for example, Brooke has a sister, Lauren, who gets talked about, um, throughout the book and she doesn't appear until that third act. Um, and I knew, I, I, at one point I was trying to keep the sister out, but she just kind of came bursting in and it's Lauren. great to have, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's good to have characters who cause chaos, who just mm. burst into the book and throw some chaos in and add some humour that way. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's about, I think, throwing characters together, pushing your character into scenarios that's going to make them uncomfortable and then finding the comedic angle to it you present us with or you presented me with this really interesting i guess thought experiment like trying to understand perspective here because as we've we've described how brooke has a very particular point of view on the world she does get very anxious about things Mm -hmm. and we we meet these characters through her point of view brooke is also like meticulously stringently she's so fair to people she wants to she wants to understand. She wants to be fair. I'm thinking particularly um, 
particularly of her dating life here. So when we mm. run into certain characters, she's trying to be fair about them, but she's also trying to be like, but I actually don't want to talk to them, even though they're lovely, but I don't <laughs> need to go there. But they're perfectly fine. And you got me thinking, like, for you, are these are these characters really as we see them? Like, is it are they really as kind of a little bit strange, like in these situations, or are we getting a lot of Brooks Lens here? Oh, we're definitely getting a lot of Brooks Lens. Um, and that's, I guess, the fun of it is sort of the way I write is very character-driven, voice-driven, and you're so deeply in her head. And um, and same as my first book, they're both, you know, you're all in in their head and their how they view people and their sort of um, internal dialogue to try and figure out their perspective on people. And so you, I guess it's, it's a style that you either embrace as a reader or you don't. Um, I think some people find that very first person um, present tense in the, in the mind of the character, a very intimate and maybe too intimate experience, but I personally love it. And I think that's, it's a, it's a great way um, to write both romance and comedy and, um, go very deep in your character's head. Awesome. Awesome. The netball team makes more sense to me now too. Um, (laughs) Light spoiler. Um, One thing that really intrigued me as I read the book was the phrase, also the title, unnecessary drama. Um, Mm. Harper. So we've talked to, we've talked a little bit. We've talked a lot about Brooke. We've mentioned Jesse. Harper is the Mm. third member of the share house. Yes. Um, Harper is the original. She introduces unnecessary drama as one of the few house rules, no unnecessary drama. And it absolutely plagues Brooke. Um, It plagues her thoughts, worrying about what it might be, Mm -hmm. how it might occur, why she will be at fault for it. It also felt to me a little bit like unnecessary drama could be a way to shut down real concern for something important. We avoid it because it might be a little bit of unnecessary drama. How were you conceptualizing? Like, what did you see unnecessary drama to be? Um, I think in the book, when Harper mentions it, it's it's like let's all be very relaxed and not uptight about things and not have fights or tension about mm. small things. That's sort of how um, I envisioned Harper thinking of it. And then Brooke is just a very, she likes to follow rules. And um, so she has this vague, no unnecessary drama rule and her immediate worries, of course, Jesse, because there's already, there's that history there and how she's going to navigate a year in this house with him without any of that tension bubbling to the surface, without it becoming, without any drama coming out of their previous relationship. It also struck me, and I, I want to sort of go now into a little bit of the darker parts of the book. It struck me that unnecessary drama could be a very gaslighty thing. If you had a certain, mm. if you have a certain character who just does not do tension, but is also maybe not the best behaved, unnecessary drama is a way to dismiss someone's concerns. And yes, for Brooke, Brooke is someone who I don't think she has a very good handle on. Um, I think um, we, we talked a little bit about my, my book club um, that I did on, on uh, mm. unnecessary drama. And I used the phrase, you know, know your worth. Brooke doesn't know her worth. And so it is yeah. very easy for people to kind of trample on her a little bit. And the phrase unnecessary drama feels like it could be used in that way. Yes. And I think that is, look, you see like on, this is, 
a very much a tangent, but like on dating apps mm. where maybe a man has no drama. Um, I don't want to, you know, I'm not interested in women who are all about the drama mm. and, and it's kind of a way to make you feel like you have to go along with what everyone else, what mm. your someone else wants to avoid conflict. And so I guess the idea of the book is that the, the drama that happens is okay and it's fine. It's yes, you need to talk and it's okay to be upset about things and it's mm. okay to say, you know, this is what I need from you. Um, and with Brooke and Jesse and their history, she she needs to be able to trust him again because of what happened between them and she feels like it was a deep wound betrayal. And it also, you know, plays into her. She has issues with her father and her sister and all kinds of things. So it's all tangled together in her mind. Um, oh, and I cannot wait to go there. I love you mentioned the dating app. So have you, I don't know if you've come across an incredible Insta called Tinder Translators. And if, 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 if it had a, in a dating profile, unnecessary drama, I think they would probably translate that to, I would like to treat you badly, but would prefer yes. if you didn't mention it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Mm. Um, so I was kind of hoping to, yeah, that's, that's not how things play out between Brooke and Jesse, but um, he's ultimately very uh, open to her feelings and emotions. Mm. Um, so just to clarify, but yes, the, the term drama is a very loaded term, especially mm. when applied to a woman. Mm. Unnecessary drama, like broadly, it hinges on the way our relationships can either lift us up or drag us down. You show us um, both Jesse and Brooke uh, trying to work out their relationships with their dads, who are, mm. I guess, I'm gonna, I'm gonna broadly describe as not the most shining examples of masculinity. Mm. I don't want to get too Freud here, but I wondered if you were looking. <laughs> I wondered if you were looking at the way um, our early relationships really do shape, or, or at the very least, maybe hamper and put a break on the way we explore love as adults. Yeah, definitely. And so Brooke, I mean, they both have issues and they're very different issues. Brooke's relates sort of a lot of her anxiety, her need to control is coming out <coughs> of her dad and feeling like um, he, he had, she's uncomfortable with his drinking and the way he acts and just that has left her with a sense of feeling like, she needs to be in control all the time to feel okay. And then Jesse has a separate issue um, around feeling like he doesn't belong in his family and conflict with his father. Um, and so they're both sort of dealing with different family stuff, but I wanted to show how they become sort of a support for each other and that is one of the ways that they bond and um, are able to help each other just through talking about it. Uh, and I love the way you emphasised the different types of communication. I mean, both of those characters we've just mentioned loom large without ever appearing in the novel. Yeah. Like very, very consciously, Brooke's dad is is larger for not appearing. His ability yes. to not appear, and the antidote it seems is perhaps not believing that you have to fix one relationship, but knowing that you can be better in other relationships. That's right. Yeah. I didn't. There was no. There was at no point was it going to be like they both have issues with their father and they get resolved within the span <laughs> of the book. That was never going to happen. Um, and those sort of complicated relationships, uh, mm. they are the kind of things that do go on your whole lifetime. And mm. at 18, you're not able to change who your parents are. Um, so it's about 
them yet yeah, grappling with the reality of it and um, and sort of talking to each other about it as opposed to, yes, we never, there's, there's no resolution um, in terms of all their problems with their mm. parents are fixed. You just highlighted the... Um the hour of the age. I mean, if it if it wasn't uh, clear from the the introduction, Jesse and Brooke they've moved to Melbourne from high school. They're starting um, they're starting uni. Harper's only like a year older. I think she's yeah. in second year. Mm-hmm. They are young. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to see love and lasting relationships in the same way at that age. You include in the book this terrific exchange. I think I've got this right that it was between Brooke and Penny, Penny's Harper's partner. And mm. Penny talks about falling for Harper. She talks about the attitudes, about the relationship. And she says something really beautiful, like, you know, maybe maybe they're right. You know, maybe this would be more stable in 10 years' time. But I don't want to miss out on 10 years just to, just to be sure that's going to happen. Do you feel like love gets taken seriously when you're young? Um, I think it doesn't, especially when older people are like, oh, you know, it's just a crush or you're too young to be in love. But when you're young... Absolutely. You're feeling things so intensely um, and love is so overwhelming, especially first love. And you know, it needs to be taken seriously. And I wanted to take it seriously in the book and a love at 18 is important. And it's not, I, I, I wanted, I didn't want that to be diminished in any way and to, to take it seriously. Um, you know, when you write about young people, you need to be able to take their feelings seriously, what's happening with them seriously and the relationships, you know, relationships you have in your young, whether they last or not can be, have, you know, a huge impact on your life, whether that be positive or negative. Now, um, Nina, look, our gorgeous listeners have stayed with us this long, so we it, we can go in. I think we can go in a light spoiler territory here, um, because we've we've mentioned this is very much um, in the romantic comedy sort of genre. If um, I, I, I am known for sort of eschewing genres because I feel like they can be a bit <laughs> limiting, but I'm really fascinated here. We were just talking about how, or maybe how often, um, not young love is not taken seriously. Now, mm. I mean, my understanding, I wouldn't say I've, I've done the deepest of dives into rom-coms, but, you know, at the <laughs> end of a rom-com, borrowing from Jane Austen, who definitely wasn't, you know, she wasn't completely a rom-com writer, but, you know, we get married at the end, everything works mm. out fantastically, and we believe the whole riding off into the sunset. How does that, mm. how does that change in your mind? when you're writing 18 year olds, like, I mean, you're not, you, you, let's be clear, unnecessary drama does not end with Jesse and Nina at 85 in a nursing home. But do you, do you still need to see that kind of Jane Austen marriage at the end or Um, are you redefining something here? No, I think there's two, like in the world of writing romance, there's um, happily ever after and then there's happy for now. And this is very much a happy for now, which is, um, the characters are together and they're happy and maybe, you know, they maybe they'll stay together. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll break up and come together later. And you know, who knows? You can write the, the reader is left with, this is where they're at. Um, and certainly when you're writing for young people, I think it's important that there's always um, something YA authors talk about a lot is having hope in the book. And mm. so you always want to end, whether it's a happy or sad ending, there needs to be, some level of hope and obviously this is a happy ending but not everything was resolved but they are together and they are happy for now and then it's up to readers to decide what happens over their lifetime 
code for pestering Nina on social media to write a sequel. <laughs> um, I love I love that you've reminded me. I, I got a real shock um, this morning. So I was doing my research, just making sure, you know, I, when I'm preparing for an interview, I, I write a little bio so that I can introduce the wonderful author that I'm speaking to. And, and on your page, it, it talked about you writing YA and that unnecessary drama was YA. And yes. Um, in my head, like the whole time I'm reading, with with very few exceptions, I wasn't really thinking YA. Like there was very little to distinguish for me the dialogue, the 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 relationships from mm. someone in their late twenties, in their thirties, even in their forties. Mm. I think the one time was when they're at pub trivia and Lauren is just a little bit OTT, and I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, okay, yep, yep. Um, that's another one where I I kind of rail against putting too many labels on because I just want right. so many people to experience. But like, yeah. did you become, did you become a YA author? Did you, do you just write stories and they happen to have younger um, protagonists? No, I mean, I've worked in the book industry and I, um, you know, I understand oh, a YA book is, you know, when you're writing YA, it can be read by anyone. Yes, mm. they are absolutely. And I think people have this idea in the head that only some people have an idea in the head. Yes. A YA book is, only can be read by teenagers. Of course not. They are, they can be enjoyed by all ages. It, it, um, but I think there is a, when you are writing YA as a, as a writer, you're keeping front of mind that your first audience is mm. teens. So it needs to, um, it needs to be a book that is, um, that will appeal to them and that is appropriate, whatever that means, um, and and feels authentic um, to that audience as well as. And then you know, obviously, some YA books will feel much more um, just for teens, and some feel like they're for everyone. And it's really you know, it's a marketing category. It's a way to signify this book um, is great for everyone age thirteen and up. Or it's 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 an authentic experience of teenagers, therefore um, teenagers may enjoy it, I guess. These are, that's what you're kind of signalling. Um, and I, as a writer, yeah, the voice of um, both my books have 18-year-old protagonists and that's just a voice that comes to me naturally and it's a time where there's a lot of firsts and new things and um, I think it's a time that is ripe for a lot of humour and fun and it's a, I just find it to be really enjoyable uh, age to write about. I think that is one of the most terrific kind of descriptors of that's helped me think about the, this as a category as well. The idea that, you know, it's, it's who your first and foremost audience is whilst mm. acknowledging that anyone can read any book at any time. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I've left this question to last. It is flying closest to the sun in terms of spoilers. <laughs> Um, but I needed I needed to ask about this because, again, leaning on sort of genre conventions, we you know you need to throw something in the way of the main relationship, and mm-hmm. um, I mean that's you know that's mm. what we learn a story is a story's got yes. a, a complication yes. and a resolution. Yes. yes, the arc of Brooke and Jesse's love story it hinges on an event from their past. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to I'm not going to describe it specifically here, but what it seemed to me was you were actually asking a big question about forgiveness 
and what mm-hmm. is acceptable in a relationship. It wasn't just it wasn't just simply wrong time, wrong place, or you know, it, it wasn't a comedy of errors where they completely misunderstood each other's perspectives. Although there is a little bit of that. Yeah, it was it was fundamentally about something that happened in the past that needed to be resolved. It needed to be forgiven. Was it difficult for you to resolve the question of Jesse's actions? Um, well, originally I had a, a slightly different, it took me a while to write that backstory because I had something different. Um, and then I talked with my editor and we decided, no, because oh, I was afraid to make him too villainous because, you know, he's a love interest. You've still got to, um, you've got to want them to be together. And I need the reader to fall in love with Jesse as much as Brooke and I need them to want them to be together. But um, then I was, I, I made it a bit, I made what happened between them, you know, Jesse was a bit worse in it and, and that made the whole um, the whole thing made more emotional sense and made um, came together better. And so it was about going, okay, you can make a mistake when you're 14, which is the age when it happens. That's not going to define you for the rest of your life. But um, And so it's about, yeah, the understanding his point of view and um, which I hope was in there and, yeah, like forgiveness and betrayal and that it's, it is a very small thing that happens, but it is like a wound that is um, Mm. devastating. And that, I think that's very authentic to the teen experience of, I know there are certain things that happened when I was a teenager that I still think about or Mm. that, that are quite minor, but you know, that's the kind of thing that shapes you or really can wound you or um, even an offhand comment about your appearance you can carry that forever and think uh, as a sort of a chip on your shoulder. And so I wanted to explore that one brief moment um, that really sticks with them both. And yeah, the learning to trust and um, forgive and that he doesn't have to be defined by that moment. Yeah. And I, I that's what I kind of loved. And I think for me, this is again coming back to the me sort of shockingly being dragged into. Oh wait, they are young adults; they are eighteen. Because this this felt so much bigger, and it seemed to me like Brooke was working through not just is is Jesse going to be defined by this one act, but how can I trust that this wasn't one act in a pattern of behaviour? This comes back to the relationship she has with her father, right. um, and something that we all we all understand, like one act may be written off as an anomaly or it may be a pattern of behaviour. Once, you, once you'd made that decision or once, um, you know, in the was it the editorial process, you'd made the decision that Jesse would be a little bit more villainous, did you have to then write him so that you could fall in love with him again? Um, no, I... <sighs> I, I mean, yeah, it, I, it did tweak various things um, and I did have to change just small things, but I'd always sort of, it, the arc was already there, the emotional um, arc, and I wanted his actions to really, um, I made sure he did things along the way so it wasn't just mm. him saying sorry, but, like, you could see through his actions that she could trust him. Um, and so there are various things he helps her with or, you know, ways they're brought together um, that show that he, in both words and actions, um, can be trusted and then it's about her getting there um, and seeing that. So that was already all built in. It was just deepening, I think, that that uh, first betrayal. 
I love that I'm about to make another um, another reference to murder mysteries, and it is <laughs> it is very much like if you read back through the novel, you'll see the clues that Nina put there that Jesse wasn't <laughs> a complete bell end. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All novels are ultimately like a murder mystery. You are building little clues in, um, uh, and and especially for when you're trying to get like a romance where you're trying to get a couple together, you need to build in the obstacles, but also the little ways along the way that they're getting closer. Nina, I'm going to have to send this conversation to, I'm not sure if you know Solari Gentile. Um, she, is a, <laughs> an, she is an absolutely terrific yeah. murder mystery. Her latest, yes. If have you read The Woman in the Library yet? No, but I really want to. So incredible metafiction, and she actually includes a character so they're on sort of a university kind of campus and it's all revolving around writers and literary world. She, inv- she includes a character who, as a writer, actually has a theory that all stories are love stories. So the complete opposite oh. of what we just said there. So murder <laughs> mysteries are actually just love stories. It's just a um, whole circle. Murder mysteries and love stories, they're yeah. all together. This is the sort of liter- literary genre battle that I needed to have, you know, when I was a, a nerdy a nerdy 18-year-old bookish uni student. <laughs> Nina, I'm I'm not sure if we've successfully both avoided spoilers and still tantalized people, but I suspect we have. Unnecessary drama is just so much fun, whilst also really like taking this incredible look at relationships. And thank you so much for joining me today to oh, talk about thank it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to Nina. That is it for this conversation with Nina Kenwood. Nina's new book is called Unnecessary Drama. It is out now from Text Publishing. Great conversations from Final Draft are recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. You can stay in touch, get in touch. You can, well, Twitter, email. Instagram, Facebook, what's your poison? Um, On the social media, you can look for at Final Draft 2SER. Email, finaldraft at 2SER.com. Drop me a line. Love to hear what you're reading. Love to hear what you think of the show. If you just want more of the podcast, subscribe in your podcast app and it will automatically pop in there every week when we publish. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.